And all the members of God's forever family said, Amen. Thank you, Kenneth, and thank you all for that fine singing. Very difficult to do when you're doing it a cappella, but uh, uh, we'll uh, just have to hang in there for a while. Okay, now let's uh, go to our lesson. You remember last week I covered the doctrine of walking amidst the angelic conflict, and today I didn't call that part one, but because I did one, I call this one part two. And it's a continuation of the angelic conflict, but walking amidst the angelic conflict. To emphasize, we live in time and we walk and talk and act and think uh, in the view of the angels, particularly the fallen angels, though also the unfallen angels certainly have capability of watching us. But the ones that are important, uh, or more important, I should say, are those angels who uh, fell way back yonder when. So I'm going to give you points one, two, three, four, five, six, six, one, and then certainly those scriptures, and then we're going to jump to Point six, point five, point five on page three. But when we get there, I'll tell you, you don't have to memorize that. I don't want to put you through any exercise, any more mental exercise than you normally go through here. All right, so walking amidst the angelic conflict, let's use First John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together, name or send back to you, thus be filled with the Spirit, thus be taught. So help me to present, and I would certainly uh, just call upon the promise that the Holy Spirit will teach, as indeed I uh, present as best I can. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, the mechanics of walking make for an excellent metaphor. We find it in scripture and used in such a manner. We are to walk in time as ambassadors for Christ. We were called in eternity past to reduce divine good. We may, however, produce or not produce. It depends on our attitude toward God's protocol. And you'll remember I gave you Ephesians 2.10. Uh, as a counterpart to Ephesians 2.9. 2.9 tells us, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of, not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's all by grace. But then immediately following 2.10 tells us that we have some things to do after we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where I embarked on a number of salvation scriptures last week. You may remember those. I can't remember the total number. I want to say I think there were probably 18 or so. Uh, and uh, those were scriptures that I had previously, in the main, memorized that I can use in my various invitations and services that I hold. 
and have over the last many, many, many years. But uh, Ephesians 2.10 uh, is one that doesn't relate to salvation per se, but uh, all Scripture does, of course. It's alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing the sun to the soul and the spirit. And the joints in the marrow is a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But 2.10, you recall, I explained. We are his workmanship, his manufactured product, God's manufactured product, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. In other words, way back yonder before time was, when he saw the total chart, dispensation chart, that we should walk in them. And then I told you that verb there is in the subjunctive mood. We may or may not walk in them. That depends on many things because the Word of God is what produces the good work. So if you haven't taken in the Word of God, cycled it, metabolized it, as we like to say, you're not going to produce that which God would have for you to produce. And they're all listed somewhere way back yonder uh, where I suspect we'll be able to see them. I don't know that. But uh, certainly, God left you here in essence for a reason, and that is to produce. Because we are His workmanship, and they've been foreordained. But you may or may not walk in them. And that's why walking amidst the angelic conflict. We may or may not. Alright, now point three. Christ and all believers were elected by the Father after seeing the entire timeline, the dispensation chart. Saw us believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw us do certain things. Saw us not do certain things. So Christ and all believers then were elected. Salvation is a direct result of faith alone in Christ alone. A failure to believe results in eternal damnation. Many scriptures teach this age-old truth. And that's where I stopped and gave you 18, as I recall. Might have been a few more, might have been a few less salvation scriptures and they're all on the website uh and they're all on the website and they're on the the website and they're also all on the westbankbiblechurch.com uh so you can take a look at them if you happen to miss and uh, of course we learned that salvation is a direct result in faith alone in christ alone without a fact so many scriptures all right, salvation then is a direct result of, again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So we walk as witnesses in the appeal phase of the angelic conflict. And uh, the appeal phase is a themism, Colonel R.B. theme, original, the original Colonel R.B. theme, uh, of course, uh, coined that phrase, the appeal phase. So Satan, of course, fell. He took a third of the angels with him. God convicted him, and God sentenced him, but God didn't carry it out. It won't be carried out till the end of the millennium. So this is very aptly called the appeal phase of the angelic conflict. Just as if you commit a crime, you go and you're sentenced, and then you may appeal it. And I use the example of the judge. The judge is not here. I'm not so sure I should have used that. Uh, because, you know, he, when the judge was on the court of civil appeals, 
he, uh, there were only three members. And I'm not going to name you the three members. But the judge and one of the members did all the work. And the third guy, <laughs> the judge told me one time that that third judge just thought that the office was a perquisite. In other words, a perk. Because <laughs> he didn't do any work in it. But uh, he told me a funny story about it. And it could happen to anybody, you know. We, we all fall asleep sometime when we shouldn't. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I see some of you out there sometimes going like this, you know. But the point being, this particular judge fell asleep. And it was a child custody case. And in the middle of the case, he waked up. And he was startled. And his question that he screamed out was, were there any children in this case? And of course, it was a child custody case. But uh, that was a... Uh, and a very interesting story and a great joke that the judge was prone to tell. But you appeal to an appellate court, and uh, the appellate court makes a decision. And, of course, that's what's happening right now. You're here. The angels are watching you. And they know you came, and they know it was difficult. So he does everything in his power to attack you. To see what he can do to get you not to come and when you're here not to listen. See? So that you don't take in the word of God and thus, excuse me, and thus grow in his grace. So, uh, that's, we went over that. Alright? So we walk as witnesses in the appeal phase of the angelic conflict. Now, one of these days, Satan will be sentenced, and that's at that's when he's cast into the lake of fire. Did I see somebody go by over there? Was that an angel? Okay, it was an angel. Uh, anyway, Bruce is jumping up for some reason, but uh, <laughs> he just left. He's going to check it out. But nonetheless, uh, you and I are in the appeal phase of the angelic conflict. All right. So angels have the ability to observe humans, both their thoughts and actions. And I gave you one scripture over in Job chapter 2. And I'm going to give you both scriptures. I told you there were two angelic convocations. The book of Job records both of them. And I only gave you one of them because I was trying to make a point. But I want to give you both of them this today. Uh, so look on your lesson plan, Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. There is a convocation. When I say convocation, in other words, God calls all the angels together and speaks to them. And I don't know what he says, uh, but at this one particular one, there is a record of it in Job chapter 2. Now there was a day... When the sons of God, those are the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now that's a real arrogant statement in the Hebrew. He's proud of that. I walked around in my earth. See, the earth was given to him at the fall of Adam. 
And that's why Christ said, let's get out of here. The prince of this world is coming, as he spoke to his disciples. This earth, I think you probably can tell that by looking at the television set today. This earth is in a mess of trouble. And it belongs to Satan. And uh, he was very proud. I have been walking to and fro upon planet earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, for no reason. Hast not thou made an hedge about him? And about his house, and about all that he hath on every side, that hath blessed the work of his hands, and his substance has increased in the land. In other words, he's a wealthy man. He has a great family. They obey. They don't go running around shacking up and all the other things the kids do today now. Oh no. He's a good man. He's a good man. He's not an animal. You know. He's really good. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, and upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, there's one other convocation in the scripture, and that's where he puts his hand on him, and yet he loses his family, he loses his wealth. And he receives it all back, sevenfold as I recall. But he's, he is in real trouble, and he doesn't curse God, and he has all kinds of good friends that come by and talk to him. You know, you ought to really beware of good friends. Holy mackerel, you should read the friends and what they say to him, you know. Oh, come on, Joe, just go ahead and confess your sins. Just go ahead and confess your sins and God will take his hand of discipline off of you. You must have done something, Job. I know you did and I know you did and I know you did. And that's why you're having these troubles. Well, I'm not going to go into the book of Job. It's a great book. Read the book yourself. One of these days, maybe, if I live long enough, I might teach teach the book of Job. But uh, about in the 36th chapter, I think it begins roughly, we find out what God did hold against Job. Think on it for a minute. Can you think about what it was? He held one thing against Job. And I've taught it before, so I bet you remember it. He said, you shouldn't even question me. You should not question me. And then he says, were you there, Job, when I... And then there is a long dissertation over all the things that God did. Did you know that God taught the stars how to sing? Did you know that every pebble of sand in the ocean, God taught that sand how to go in and how to come out and when to stay there and when to go back out again and when to stay there and what place you're to be there. And the turtles come and they lay their eggs a certain time at a certain place, on and on and on and on and on. He taught them all that. He said, now if you were there, Job, 
smarty pants. If you were there, smarty pants, then you can question me. But if not, don't. And Job was pretty good. Except he did question God. Because he kept getting all these questions from all of his, quote, friends, close quote. So the angels do come to angelic convocations. And they're here right now. They're watching you. They're seeing what you think. And they will be seeing what you think for the rest of your life. In other words, how you doing? Kind of like your exam. Your exam are your thoughts. Your exam is, in fact, the sum total of your thoughts. All right. Now, what did I tell you I was going to do? I told you I'd tell you where to go. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. I said go to page three. And we're going to look at I'm going to go to page 4. Every pastor has a right to change his mind. Let's go to page 4. Because that's where we left off last week at 6.5.9. 6.5.9. I told you all about angelic conflict, how the angels were made, and so forth. Now we're going to move slowly to the subject of walking in the angelic conflict. All right, human history is inextricably linked to the angels. For example, Satan and his coterie of fallen angels have been judged and sentenced to the lake of fire, but the sentence has not been carried out. The sentence is not carried out until human history has run its course. Now that's interesting right off. That ought to trigger something in your mind. You mean the sentence of Satan is not carried out until human history is completed? Doesn't that tell you that human history has something to do with the angelic conflict? Sure it does. Just common sense and good judgment. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 14 verses 15 through 19. It said, Yet thou shalt... Now this is these verses are talking to old Satan. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. This is at the end time. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners, all the kings of the nations, even all of them lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. <clears throat> Excuse me. Trodden under feet. So one of these days, all these folks who have done all sorts of evil things, Satan is going to be laid out as the one who caused them to do that. Convinced them. Convinced Adolf Hitler to do his crazy things. To convince the guy who released the destructive terror on a friendly family. 
and all manner of other things that went wrong, like as Mussolini, like as Hirohito, like as uh, the things that we did in, uh, in in terms of slavery to those who we took their volition away from them and went over and bought them in Africa from an African king and brought them over here. Uh, they're all going to be laid out, and and God's going to say Satan taught you to do that. All that all the evil in the world. Satan taught you to do that. He's the one, and he's going to be laid out, and he's going to pay for it. And then the people are going to be so surprised. You mean he taught me to do this crazy thing as a government official? Or whatever we might do in our own small little world, you know. But one day Satan is going to be shown to be the one who messed things up. He's totally incapable of getting the job done. He's a fallen angel in more than one sense of the word. And that's what the angelic conflict's about. Are you going to choose him or are you going to choose God? How do you choose God? Get into the word of God and find out how you're to think. How are you to think? All right, now let's look at Ezekiel. I'm going to just give you now another description. If you want two descriptions of Satan, you can go to Isaiah chapter 12 and you go to Ezekiel chapter 28. So let's get a description in the Old Testament of of Satan, beginning in the 28th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now it starts off talking about, again, Tyrus. However, that's just a name for Satan. And it becomes quite obvious when you begin to read the rest of the series of verses I'm going to read. Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Then all the stones are listed. And I didn't want to put the stones in there because frankly I can't pronounce all the names. And so I just as soon not stumble over the names. They're just stones anyway. Precious stones primarily. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. Thou art the anointed cherub. That's an angel. That covereth. One of the covering angels. Satan was originally one of the three covering angels. You had Gabriel, of course, and you had Michael, and you had Lucifer. But Lucifer has fallen. And that's why there are only two covering angels in the tabernacle and in the temple. Why only two when there were three covering angels? Because one fell. See, one fell. But I've taught you that before under the doctrine of the temple. Look it up. Or the doctrine of the tabernacle. Look it up. It's there. It's right on the internet. It's on the podcast. Alright. Thou art anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Oh my goodness. At one time before he fell. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Perfect. We often think of Satan, you know, as perfect and he's uh, red and he has a tail and he has a trident. Uh-uh. He wears blue jeans and he has blue eyes. 
blue jeans and blue eyes. Said, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up full of pride because of thy beauty. He was a handsome creature. And of course he can still be handsome or he could be ugly. I mean, you know, you're dealing with a conflict. You are involved in a conflict. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. In other words, you're arrogant. You were so bright, you were so beautiful, you got corrupted. What corrupted him? Pride. Pride goeth before fall. See? Pride goeth before fall. I will cast thee so to the ground, I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. In other words, the kings will be laid out. George Bush. Remember that airplane that flew into that big building? Did you know that a roommate of one of the people who flew that plane lived in the United States of America and we knew all about it? Did you know an FBI agent had actually come up with the name of the person who was taking flight lessons but only learning how to take off and never learning how to... And she wrote a report. And it went up finally through the FBI. You know, the FBI, they're so smart. It went up through the FBI and it finally got to his desk about the time the plane flew into the Trade Center. Crazy. And all that's going to be laid out. And it's Satan who made the plan and made sure that that poor lady who wrote the report and said, check out this guy. He's only learning how to take off. He never learns how to land. Something crazy is going to happen. So she wrote the report. And like government agencies, you know how government agencies are. Everybody writes a report. And it sails up, you know. Finally, it gets up there to the top. But it's too late. The building's coming down. All sorts of crazy things. But all that's going to be revealed someday. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be concerned about it. All right, let's go on. So much for that. Just a little aside. So it is not insignificant that this sentence has, is not carried out until human history has run its full course. The casting of Satan in the lake of fire must await the end of the millennium. And I'll read you about that. Revelation chapter 20, verse 9 to 10. As they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This I told you about when I taught you eschatology. told you how the armies of the world would gather, gather together at Megiddo and they would send a group of troops down to kill all the Jews and, to, and the other group would be left there to wait for Christ to come back so they could kill him. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire after they lost. Fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And goodness knows I've taught you that over and over again. I've taught you eschatology about the rapture, about the second advent and all the events pertaining thereto. 
But Satan, important point here, important point here is Satan's going to be judged and cast into the lake of fire. And that's going to happen, of course, uh, after the battle of Megiddo. And uh, we can't wait for that day, can we? We can't wait for the rapture of the church. And then the seven years, and then the second advent, and then we'll have a top row seat We'll be like Bob Euchre. How many of you seen that commercial where Bob Euchre has a ticket to the ball game? And he has a good ticket, you know. Old catcher who wasn't worth the darning. But he was funny. Became a comedian. Left baseball to become a comedian. All right. So we have a noble calling as an elite force for God, not only are we watched by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but both the elect and fallen angels see and evaluate our thoughts and actions. So we represent Christ in his absence as his ambassadors on a planet owned by none other than Lucifer himself, and we should so walk as ambassadors for Christ in an alien land. And our walk, now we're getting to the walk part of walking amidst the angelic conflict. Our walk must be a step at a time, just as we redeem time on a moment-by-moment basis. You're redeeming the time right now. Redeem the time because the days are evil, says the Scripture. How are you redeeming the time? You're showing up when Bible doctrine is taught. And there are 2,100 and something people who are also doing that on the website. And another eight or 900 who are doing it on the website, uh, website, not website, top podcast. I get the podcast and the website mixed up sometimes because I'm not one of those computer people. I was born a long time ago where we use abacuses, or let's say abacai, whatever, however you say it in the plural. All right, our walk must be a step at a time just as we redeem time on a moment-by-moment basis. Notice Colossians 4, 5. Walk. And the word there is peripateo. In wisdom toward them that are without redeeming, ex agarazo the time. There is an interesting word. Now, I've already been over peripateo with you. That was the one that had the subjunctive mood. That you should walk in them. So let's concentrate on ex agarazo. You know what exagorazo means? It means to buy back. If you look in the New Testament, agorazo means to buy. Exagorazo means to buy back. Well, who are you buying back time? You're buying back from Satan. Because Adam gave it all to Satan. All time belongs to Satan. So as you redeem the time, you're buying it back from Satan. How are you redeeming the time? You're doing it right now. You're listening to the Word of God being taught. And the Holy Spirit is teaching you. I shouldn't have said that. You're listening to the Word of God being presented. And God the Holy Spirit has the responsibility for teaching you. And He'll teach you whatever you need. Everything you need. But you do have to show up. Now you can go for three points in a poem. Or maybe you need four rock bands. I don't know. Somebody told me you can't use that analogy anymore, Jerry. You have to use three rock bands. That's what attracts them, you know. But the point being, uh, you're buying the time back right now. But you can't just buy it back by, you know, going to X church or Y church. You go where Bible doctrine is taught. 
And it's being taught in many, many places. Certainly not just here. It's not for me to say what it is that's being taught and where it's being taught. My job is to teach what I teach. And you are to go wherever you think you can be taught. Don't come here unless you think you can be taught here. All right. We must not forget that we are watched by angels, unbelievers, carnal believers, and spiritual believers. The angels, though invisible, witness not only what we do, they witness what we do as invisible characters, but they also listen to what we say and know what we think. Know what we say and what we think. All right, now let's take a look at page 6.10. God has given us only so many minutes to redeem. The scripture says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Time was relinquished to Satan by the first Adam in the garden. So what we think, say, and do are all part of our redeeming the time. Ex agorazo, buying it back. Not agorazo. See, agorazo means to buy. And ex agorazo means to buy back. So what we think, say, and do are all part of our redeeming the time. We are continually on stage as witnesses in the conflict. So as we observed earlier, like the baby who learns to walk by falling and then catching himself, by, that was last week, by taking a step, the believer's walk is a process of confession and moving forward in the Christian life all the while maintaining a positive attitude toward the Word. And of course, you know Satan attacks us many times by sin, and when we sin, we have an easy answer, cite it back to God. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. And I like what old Colonel Thing used to say about that. When you cite a sin back to God, you are cleansed not just of that one sin, but all sins that you are not ready to know about yet. So it's important when the Holy Spirit shows you a sin, you cite it, you name it. Hamalageo. Agree with God that that's one Christ took care of on the cross. All right, walking provides a meaningful metaphor for moving forward a step at a time on the road to maturity. Notice 1 John 1, 6, 7, 8, and 9. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk, peripateo, our word in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk, peripateo, in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship, notice, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the next verse says, if we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar. Then the next verse says, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, write out these things unto you, that ye sin not. So it's talking to Christians. It's not talking to unbelievers. I used to think it was talking to unbelievers. And I used to use it as a salvation scripture. Then suddenly I realized, wait a minute, the context of that is 1 John. That's to believers. 
And he says, my little children write out these things unto you. And God never calls Christians, uh, never calls, excuse me, never calls unbelievers children. He calls them sons of the devil, sons of perdition. But he calls us his children. Even when we are bad, even when we just keep on doing wrong as some of our folks do over and over and over and over again. And as we do sometimes, over and over and over again. So we have to be aware of when the Holy Spirit says, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And on and on and on. Alright, so as a baby begins life as we earlier saw, without the ability to walk and must take in nourishment, nourishment, to build muscle and bone, so also the believer starts out in time as a spiritual infant in need of spiritual food. I gave you this chart two weeks ago. Told you to take it with you. I was going to put it on this chart, but I don't know what happened. But anyway, I had two burned out lights. Both of them. There's two lights on here. There's one that backs up the other one. Both of them went out. But that's all right. It's in your lesson plan. There it is. Look at your y-axis. Look at that top circle, positional. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in that top circle. There's nothing you can do about it. But you got two problems. Let's look at the x-axis down here. You're in fellowship when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You sin and now you're carnal. You have to name it back to God. It's called confession. First John 1, 9. Now you're back in fellowship. But there's something else you got to do. Look at the z-axis, as in zebra. You start taking in the Word of God because you're a zero. You're a baby when you start out. And there's three places in the Scripture that says believers are babies when they start out. And I've given that to you. So you have just a little bit of capacity for blessing and just a little bit of capacity for testing. But as you take in the Word of God, notice how you grow up and the capacity circles get bigger and bigger and bigger on your way to maturity. So the two things, those those two things are called the power option. You can see them listed in in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Mark that down. Romans 1, 12 and 2. Behold, I show you a mystery, brethren. And that's Romans 12, 1 and 2. 12, 1 tells you you got to name your sin back to God. 12, 2 tells you you have to take in the Word of God. Now, I don't have that. I don't know if I have that in the Scripture or not, but I'll just go ahead and give you. I'm going to quote you almost. I beseech ye, brethren, this is one. I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's 12, 1. How can you do that? How can you present your bodies to God Almighty perfect? By naming sin back to God. You can't do it by gutting it up and practicing all the good things you're going to do. Because invariably you're going to fail because Satan's a lot smarter than you are. But what you can do is cite it back to God when the Holy Spirit shows you. That's again Romans 12.1. Now how about 12.2? What's the other thing? Well that's the one. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you use those two together, those two power options. Colonel Theme called them power options. 
Naming sin back to God, taking into word. Naming sin back to God, taking into word. Naming sin back to God, taking into word. And that's our job. And that's our job. All right, this principle, and, and we have a doctrine of rebound. Go to the go to the website and look under Pastor Marriage Study Books under rebound, and you'll find a list of scriptures related to naming your sin back to God. We call that rebound because Colonel Theme called it, and it's an easy concept to communicate. Rebound, like in basketball, you shoot, and if you miss. You better move some direction and go for the basket where you can get the rebound. See? Rebound? So it's an excellent metaphor. All right. Now let's go to 11.2.1. This principle is taught in numerous passages. All right. Hebrews 5.11, 12, 13, and 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. This is talking to believing Jews, and they're around today. God love them. They still don't know to turn loose of the Mosaic law. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teaching, this is in 68 AD, just before they're going to be destroyed, God's going to come down there and kick the living tar out of them, destroy their temple, destroy their city, and run them out of the area, and they're still out of the area. The real people. The real people live on 53rd Street in New York City. I'm kidding now. They live all over the world. They are out under the fifth cycle of discipline. But there are many believing Jews. Him and Judy have a kinfolk who married one of their daughters who's a believing Jew. See, so Jews can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ just like Gentiles. They just have a, something different to fight when they do because now they want to stay with that law. Oh, awful. You can't keep it. See, that's why God sent in 70 AD the army of Rome to destroy them and they're still under discipline. You ever notice that? Those poor folks, no matter what they do, no matter how smart they are, they're under discipline. And particularly the unbelieving Jews. Why? Because they were so arrogant, they cried out, Crucify Him! Yes, we'll take the blame for it, and our children will take the blame. Oh my gosh. That's not good, is it? Now that's the unbelieving Jews. Unfortunately. So witness to them. That's your job. Unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentile. Anybody who asketh you, asketh you anything concerning the hope that is in you, you tell them about it. Tell them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Don't get on sin now. Don't tell them, well, you have to quit doing this, you have to quit doing that. Uh uh-uh. uh. You just have to tell them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, I'll give you the story again. I give it to, I've given it to you before, but I witnessed an old boy one time who was chasing women, and I was telling him about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, Jerry, I just cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because I cannot stop chasing women. And I said, nothing, because I was too stupid at the time. Too spiritually stupid. What I should have said was, don't worry about that. When God wants you to stop chasing women, 
He is going to catch you and He's going to kick your rear end from here to Dallas. See? But not till you're ready. So just tell Him, believe on the Lord Jesus. Do you find anywhere where it says in the Scripture, you know, you can't be a believer because you're chasing women? No. Or that you're a sinner? No, it tells you you are a sinner. You're just exchanging one set of sin for another. It's kind of like a, the story I told you about uh, uh, Stuart Hamlin. Remember the story about John Wayne and Stuart Hamlin? Stuart Hamlin gave up smoking and drinking to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of going to a Billy Graham crusade. And he met John Wayne at a cocktail party. And he went over to John Wayne and John Wayne said to him, hey, Stuart, how come you don't have a drink in your hand, buddy? And he said, Duke, it is no secret what God can do. And he wrote that song. And Joshua, one of these days, is going to sing it. It is no secret what God can do. You may have to do it a cappella, or you may have to bring your own piano player. But the point being, uh, it's faith alone in Christ alone. Because why? Christ took care of all the sins of the world. Isn't that funny that we'll quote scriptures like that and we'll say, sin is a problem, so you, Christ took care of all the sins of the world. But then we don't believe that. And yet the scripture very clearly says that. He died. First John. Oh my goodness, my memory escapes me. But I can, I can quote it. He says that he died not only for, first John 2 2. He died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. Now, how clear is that? He died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. So sin is not the issue. So when you witness to somebody, people, tell them about the Lord Jesus and what He did for them. And if they want to bring up sin, that's fine, but don't... All for Satan's trick. He wants you to get into sin. He wants you to be Billy, what is it? Goody two-shoes. He wants you to be goody two-shoes. Oh yes, that's right. You, you, you've got to do that. I mean, you have to stop doing that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they go off and commit mental adultery, you know, by the carload. But the point being, or may not, I don't know. You, you know, it's, We're all a little different. We're all a little different. But the issue is what think ye of Christ? How many scriptures did I give you? Twenty last week, I'm guessing. Maybe eighteen last week. I don't count them. You count them. I'm like Babe Ruth. When the president asked Babe Ruth, you know, how many home runs have you hit, Babe? The Babe said, I don't know, President. You count them, I'll hit them. Then that's, that's very appropriate in this particular case. You count them, I'll hit them. Point being, you and I, or to be sensitive to the fact that sin is gone. I love that song. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now I am so happy that I sing. So I don't know the words, but song rhymes with it. I sing a song. Sins are gone. So what do you witness about? Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. 
And we try to make it so complicated. So complex. Oh, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then you have to walk the aisle. There's something about walking the aisle. No, there's not. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in a foxhole. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ working on your car. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ working on the church's books. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ doing all manner of other things. Listen to the radio. Reading the newspaper. I remember one of the greatest... uh, It's coming to me now. Some things come to me when I'm in this pulpit. It's the pulpit's fault. But anyway, uh, I remember reading the Austin American Statesman one time where George W. Bush had a conversation with George Herbert Bush, his dad, and his mom. And they were talking about salvation. And George W. Bush said, all you have to do for salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. George Herbert said, what was his mother's name in any way? Uh, His mom. Barbara. Barbara, Barbara. Barbara and George Herbert said, oh no, you have to do some good things. He said, no you don't. Oh yes, you have to do certain good things for salvation. You can't just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this was in the Austin American Statesman. And George W. said, Would you believe Billy Graham? And both of them said, Oh yeah. Yeah, we know Billy Graham real well. You know, we would believe on him. He said, Okay. And so George W. turned to the phone, picked it up, Call the president. <laughs> Billy Graham answered. And he said, would you tell my mom and dad that to, to become a Christian, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he handed the phone to George Herbert. And, and I don't remember if he handed it. You know, if they listened. The lady got to listen or not. You know, it's for the woke deal. But anyway, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, And guess what he said? That's right. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as I know, I'll never know now till I die or go to heaven, whichever it is, if they in fact did. And in fact, it's none of my business. But I'll bet they did. So George told Herbert and Barbara that salvation comes by Faith alone in Christ alone. And that's how the gospel gets spread from time to time in different ways. I could give you many testimonies like that. I love to get testimonies and wrap them into a message, you know. Then sometimes they just come to me, you know. But the point being, faith alone in Christ, Christ alone saves you. And I see now, daggone it, it's time to stop. And I was just on a roll. But the point being, we're walking in the angelic conflict. And I didn't even get through this lesson. This would be my second time. So next week, (laughs) it's going to be walking in the angelic conflict part three. And we'll finish it up and... uh, because, you know, there's so many... Uh, I'm, I'm going to take just a few more minutes now, and Ken, you can dock me. Uh, 
I'm just going to tell you there's, I'm going to tell you some words that are used for walking. See, I wanted to cover all these, but I got off on salvation. But the peripateo we talked about. And then there's a, in addition to peripateo, there's, uh, stoikeo. And in addition to stoikeo, there's orthopadeo. I bet you know where we got our, our word orthopedics from that, don't you? Orthopadeo, so it means to walk in a straight line. But anyway, all of these words, uh, and then I have instances of walking according to knaves. Uh, stoikeo means to walk in ranks like a soldier. So anyway, all these words are used in scripture. Peripateo, stoikeo, orthopadeo, etc. And I wanted to explain all those to you. But I didn't get them, Kim. I'm sorry. But we're going to get them. Uh, I'll probably just use it as an introduction to another doctrine. And we'll get to it. Whoa! Tired already. That's coming from not sleeping. Remember one another in prayer. Now then, I'm going to give our invitation very quickly. The scripture very clearly says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid upon him Jesus the iniquity of us all. So right where you are whatever you might be doing all you got to do is tell God the Father I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the word you will be saved. That's simple. You don't have to jump through any psychological hoops. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to say, I'm not going to do that anymore, God. Uh, 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 uh. Just faith alone in Christ. You know how you do that? Tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son. And on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. And now for our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study Your Word. Thank You for our Letting us be your soldiers in the angelic conflict. Now help us to be capable of withstanding the blows of old Diablo himself. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.